Hi, Damien Marcus from 100 Not Out here. MP. Yes, Damo. We all know the importance of having a diary, but who wants a boring old day planner? Not me. Enter the journey of me. Ta-da! The incredible eight-month wellness journal designed especially for wellness peeps like you. Yes, Damo. This beautiful eight-month wellness guide is filled with questions, planners, exercises, reflective notes, and more. Endorsed by the Up For A Chat girls and loved the world over, the journey of me is a must-have if you're ready to live your best life for life. To purchase your very own journey of me and receive a free set of inspirational postcards, simply enter the code COUCH at www.wellandnew.com. That's www.w-e-l-l-i-n-e-u-x.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts, Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damien Christoph, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to The Wellness Guys. I'm Damien Christoph, and I'm here by myself. I'm in San Francisco. I'm at The Wave, which is an incredible event, a motivating, inspiring event for chiropractors, and we've uh, been absolutely treated to some incredible speakers and I am blessed enough to be meeting and interviewing some of the superstars, rock stars of this particular event and today I'm joined by a very, very special person but I'm all by myself. There's no Lawrence and there's no Brett. It's just me, which is fine but you know what, this is a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into your lives and today I'm going to be interviewing I would like to call it a genius, and I found some little things about, about this man which surprised me a little bit, but today he spoke on integrating the whole self, which blew my mind because, you know, he spoke about conversations and the language around wellness and the things that we can talk about and the things that we do talk about and the things where maybe some of us are going wrong, and so I'm trying to think while I'm speaking how I can use words better so that I don't muck things up. But anyway, before I go on too far, I'd love to welcome to the Wellness Guys a very special and very talented man, um, uh, Marvin Oka. Marvin, welcome to the Wellness Guys. Uh, thanks, Damien. I'm very thrilled to be here. Very excited. Marvin, I was, uh, I was very interested to hear what you were speaking about today. And you're doing some work with an amazing chiropractor in Melbourne, uh, Dr. Ari Diskin. And you're, you're bringing, um, I suppose, a message of whole person integration into the wellness sphere through chiropractic. And, and I'd like to learn more about that. I mean, you're a, you're a very talented man anyway. You started off as a magician, I believe, which is, which is incredible. And I'd like to find out how that transitioned. And then also you've gone on to, you know, speak around the world. You spoke at Parker last week so you're doing some amazing things so why don't we um go to the magician side of things and just talk about that how did you get into doing what you're doing now yeah that's a great question um i've often been asked as well many years back when i was still doing magic uh, someone asked how did i ever get into being a magician Uh, and i often said well at school i was neither that highly intellectual nor athletic so what was left but to actually do some magic (laughs) Um, but the world of magic was, is, uh, is an amazing field because it teaches you a lot about understanding human perception and human personality. Uh, you really have to understand human psychology. I was a professional magician for 10 years. Uh, in 1976, I won an international magician's convention competition in Japan, in Tokyo. Uh, and I won for sleight of hand, which to me was my favorite 
part of magic. There's different forms of magic. Uh, to me, sleight of hand was where the true artistry was. There's basically, you can't hide with using mirrors or trap doors. Uh, it's pure skill and psychology with, with the people you're in front of. And, and you're right there on the table in front of them. So uh, you really have to be on your game. Having said that, I also had a cabaret act working comedy clubs where you have to learn how to think on your feet because anything can happen during the show. And I also had a stage show as well, um, in the Grand Sheraton Grand Sheraton Waikiki Grand Ballroom, uh, and whenever Tom Jones was in Hawaii, I opened for him for two years, uh, and so it was a it was a great life. Uh, and along the way, I was starting to learn a lot about psychology, about perception theory, uh, and about understanding how people constructed their realities, their subjective realities. Uh, I started to build that in into a lot of my shows, uh, and I started to then do other things, starting to work with teenagers, for instance, helping them uh, work through uh, not only academic studies, accelerated learning programs, but also personal development as well. Uh, and myself and some colleagues, we were running a program for teenagers, a seven-day residential camp, uh, and some people from Australia saw it. And they said, why don't you come and move to Australia? <laughs> we'll, say, well, we'll come and, and do the camp there, and let's see how things go. Our stays in Australia got longer and longer. Our trips back to Hawaii got shorter and shorter. Uh, and finally, someone just said, why don't you just move? And I thought, do I give up a 10-year career in show business uh, and mo completely move country and move industry? And I thought, gee, you know, I was getting increasingly unhappy with the show business field. Uh, it became very, very shallow. Uh, it was kind of amazing. Several years previous, uh, a friend of mine once told me, did you know that in Las Vegas, uh, the greats at the time, give you, give you a clue how old I am, uh, the greats at the time are the Wayne Newtons, the Sammy Davis Juniors, the Frank Sinatras, uh, that they engineer their standing ovations at the end. I thought, what? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, what do you mean? Uh, and so I went to Las Vegas to study, and sure enough, it's absolutely engineered. It's psychologically engineered. Uh, and you cannot help but stand up at the end the way that everything's orchestrated. Uh, I built it in into my shows. And after a while, when you know you can get a standing ovation in the, in the grand ballroom with 2,000 people and you can do this consistently, it sort of, sort of loses its meaning a lot. <laughs> you sort of wonder, why am I doing this? Uh, and so, as I said, I got increasingly unhappy with, with show business as a field. Uh, it got more and more shallow to me as I started to see through the illusions of it all, um, no pun intended. Uh, and so when someone said, why don't you move to Australia? And, and there we were doing a lot of personal development work with, with teens, with their parents, with their companies. Uh, and I just found it far more exciting, far more meaningful. And I thought, yeah, let's do it. And I closed up shop. I uh, had just signed a television contract to host a, uh, a travel-like show uh, as, as one of the uh, hosts uh, for cable television. And uh, I said, do I cancel this contract and just move? And I had to really search my soul and search my heart. And I just went, I just, I can, yeah, I just wasn't happy in, mm -hmm. in show business. So, yeah, I packed it all up, sold everything, closed it down, moved country, changed career, and have never looked back since. Oh my gosh, that's unbelievable. I reckon Lawrence would have loved to be right here right now interviewing you. Actually, some of the words that you use and the, and the, and I suppose just your transition through life sounds very similar to Lawrence's too, which is very, very, very much paralleled. And I think he'll pick that up as well. So you started off as a magician. You're in show business. Um, you realize that you're not happy. And a lot of people listening to this particular podcast will go, yeah, well, I'm, I'm in a career and I'm not happy and I'm not really, you know, loving life. And, and so they're living a 
according to conversations they're having in their life. And, and of course, some of the words that you used just before were very, very uh, specific around the way in which you were feeling and what you're noticing about yourself and where you were in your life and the questions then that you asked yourself. Mm. Have you always been this careful with your words or was it something that you needed to uh, learn more about? I definitely had to learn more about it. I got far more precise in it once I started learning things around things like neurolinguistics and behavioral modeling. Uh, but even then, as, as a child, you know, I probably was quite a bit more conscious than most people about uh, how to actually use language, and particularly around uh, human relations. Because in Hawaii, it's a while well, it's a beautiful place and it's very friendly people. Growing up there, it's very it's a very tribal mentality, and we get. In Hawaii, you can get tribal down to the nth degree. It, it, it can be anywhere from not only what ethnic group you're from, but it will come down to what school you went to, uh, what what particular neighborhood you live in, uh, it, and it, down to the clothes you wear, and it, it can get very, very tribal. And it's very easy to accidentally offend. And so you have to be very – and myself, I'm relatively small in stature – uh, and I knew I wasn't going to survive if I kept offending people. <laughs> and I was pretty good at offending people. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I became a little bit more conscious or quite a bit more conscious about how you had to be a lot more diplomatic if you needed to survive growing up in Hawaii. Um, but, yes, as, as I became um, more involved in the world of neurolinguistics, more involved in the world of, of neuropsychology in particular, uh, then, yes, when, once it opened up the world of language to me, it became a different different game. Interestingly enough, the very first book ever written on neurolinguistic programming, the title was The Structure of Magic. And wow. it was a book on linguistics, on transformational oh, yeah. linguistics, which and I absolutely loved it. Yeah. And it, it, it was uh, the whole world of NLP started to open up secrets to real magic. This is what happens when things make, when people make real changes in their lives. Well, that's, that's incredible because uh, my mind's blowing at the moment. But, uh, when you were talking today, um, on stage, uh, and I was spellbound. I was captivated. Um, you might have noticed that through the events today, I've taken lots of photos. I just couldn't take my eyes off you because I was so enthralled in your message. And you mentioned too that, um, you know, what is air to a bird and what is water to a fish and what is language to a human? And, um, and, and what I, what I really took from that message was that a bird just flies through the air and thinks nothing of it. A fish swims through the ocean or the water and thinks nothing of it. And a human uses language and thinks nothing of it because it just is. And so you then said that the words that we use become essentially um, what we do, who we are, and what we what we be, I suppose. Um, am I on the right track there? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and keep in mind, too, I focus today on the use of language and how language creates our realities. It shapes our perceptions. It shapes our thinking. It even shapes, obviously, our beliefs, but it, it also shapes our values in many ways. Now, and language is only one of the representations we can have that remain outside of awareness for most people. Uh, there's also internally, we make pictures in our head. We have different, different types of tones in our, in our internal dialogue as well, which makes a difference to how we code things. Uh, the tone at which you say things to yourself. So if you, you know, some people say, yeah, I really have this bad internal dialogue, this negative internal dialogue. Well, yeah, well, a couple of things. Just because you're saying it to yourself doesn't mean you have to listen. <laughs> There's people that say things to you that you don't listen. Mm -hmm. um, but the other is the tone in which you say it as well. So you could say to yourself, you know, God, I'm an idiot. And if you said it in a, in a very harsh tone, you might feel very defeated. 
But if you said it in a comical tone, like it was Daffy Duck saying it to you, <laughs> you'd laugh. You'd think, well, that's kind of humorous, right? And you kind of roll with it. Um, so voice tones are also uh, part of it as well, uh, as well as the way you hold your body and body sensations are sending the signals. And, and the physiological state that you're in also determines a lot of your, uh, your, your receptivity to, to the types of messages you're saying to yourself or what others are saying to you. And so while language is just one, one, it is also a very powerful one. It is, it is so outside the awareness of most people. They really don't appreciate just how language is shaping their, their realities. And so if you have a good day or a bad day, how do you know? Well, the odds are likely you have a story that goes with it. You have a narrative that goes with it. And those words are not necessarily true. They're just a mapping. Uh, the, a, a bit deeper, uh, since we've got some time on this, uh, a bit deeper behind this, Coming from the world of transformational linguistics, which is interesting because it's no longer in vogue these days. Transformational linguistics is almost obsolete in some areas, developed by Noam Chomsky. Uh, but in it was, it was a basic framework that said, we go through life, we have our experiences. Then we have a coding of that experience. So life happens and we map it. We, we create a language structure around it. It's what's called a deep structure. But every time we do a mapping, every time we do a modeling, we go through a process that's called generalizations, deletions, distortions. So our mapping is never one for one of what actually happened in life. It's generalized. If you didn't generalize, you wouldn't know how to open a door that had a different doorknob, mm-hmm. for instance. Yeah. Right? You wouldn't know how to sit in a chair that looked different. So you have to, you have to keep generalizing. You can't, you can't process every bit of information coming at you, so you have to delete certain things. And then you distort them as well to kind of fit your current set of perceptions and belief structures. Uh, and so if someone says, I have a bad day, this is not only not the deep structure, this is now what's called the surface structure. They've, it's finally come to conscious, the conscious point where they, where they, they say it out loud or they say it to themselves internally. By this point, it has been so grossly generalized, generalized, deleted and distorted. It almost has nothing to do with what actually happened. Wow. So someone says, I have a bad day. You, well, hang on. You've just generalized to the entire day. What happened? You might find out really what they're basing this on is they had a bad meeting and the boss yelled at them. That's it. Ruined that ruined the whole day, mm. right? The whole, so it's not that the whole day is bad, but if you start to recover the way that your, your language has become generalized, deleted, and distorted, you realize that's not the only way I could end up. Yes, the boss yelled at me, but maybe now this was a learning day, or maybe this was a day where you realize you're in the wrong job, right? And this is a career-changing moment that's for the better for the rest of your life. How do you not know that that's the case? But it means first being aware, just because I'm saying it, doesn't mean that that's necessarily true. Let me just challenge my own, my own narrative on this. And when you start to realize that, you start to realize, yes, there is this thing called air if you're a fish, or if you're a bird. Mm-hmm. There's this thing called water if you're a fish. And what is this language that's creating my reality? And, and is it serving me or not? Is it, in this case, is it increasing my wellness or decreasing my wellness? And your language will do either that. It will either increase it or decrease it. There's no neutral on it. That's incredible. That's incredible. And there'll be people going, oh my gosh, I'm going to rewind that. And so for those of you who just rewound it, you got back to this point, you know. <laughs> um, it, it, that is amazing because uh, Bruce Lipton often talks about the biology of belief. Well, that is not what he often talks about. That's what he does talk about. He talks about the biology of belief. And that. Uh, and then we heard John Martini say today that your innermost dominant thought becomes your outermost tangible reality. And I suppose this is what you're referring to as well, in that if you, your dialogue, I suppose, is continually um, in such a frame 
um, that it might hold you or alter your po- your posture or alter your perception of yourself, then that that could be the way in which you would take yourself. Is there uh, um, opportunity for people to change that? Can they alter the way in which they're thinking very quickly? Is it something they've got to learn or is it something that um, it can happen very quickly with? It can happen quite instantly. Once you know some basic patterns, uh, one of the examples that I, I gave today, which I often like to use because so many people can relate to it, is is let's say you're having challenges in a relationship with someone, and if you say to yourself, I have a bad relationship with someone, you'll feel stuck very quickly and angry and frustrated and don't know what to do. Obviously, wellness goes down at that point. But keep in mind, the word relationship is one of those things that it's it's a dis- what I call a disguised verb, it's a fake noun. Uh, it, it sounds like it's a noun. Nouns are things, so you can possess them, so you can have them. So you can say it's grammatically correct to say, I have a bad relationship. In real life, that's impossible. You cannot have one because it doesn't exist. It's, it's not a thing. It's not an object. Relationship, that word refers to a living process you have to engage in with someone else. We have words for, for processes. They're called verbs. A better, a better mapping of the territory, a better use of language is the word relating, which is the verb. So you'd have to change your, what you're saying to yourself. You'd have to say, I'm relating to someone badly. Now, once you say that, what instantly comes to mind? For most people, instantly they think choices. I could change it. I'm responsible. I could, I could make it different. So what's the difference between I'm stuck, I'm frustrated, I'm angry because I have a bad relationship with someone, or I'm relating to someone badly. I could change that. The choices are instant. It's absolutely instant. And it first starts with just really being conscious of how you're actually using language. As long as it remains unconscious, you have no choice on this. You know, many years back, I, I read a, a very powerful book called the, you're going to love the title, right? You won't love words, you're going to love this title, uh, by Professor Julian Jaynes. The book's title was, is The Origins of Consciousness in the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind. Right. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> book, wow. right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's a very thick book, very dense, very profound. Uh, but towards the end of the book, he, he asserts, uh, or he, he makes a, 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 poses a question which disturbed me for a good two years. And he asked the question, why do we need consciousness? Is consciousness, is consciousness necessary? And he went through argument after argument as to what people would say why we need consciousness. We need it for reasoning. We need it for problem solving. We need, and he, he went through point for point why that was not the case, why you can function just as well. You can still reason. You will just reason outside of awareness. That's all. Uh, and so he, dis- he destroyed every argument. And it left me for two years really kind of disturbed. Going, what is consciousness for? But intuitively, I could, deep down, I, th- I thought, it can't be right. Consciousness can have no function. <laughs> it has to have some purpose. And it was only several years later, it suddenly dawned on me, a slow dawning, when I realized, oh, it's obvious. One of the things consciousness does is it gives you choice. Because if you're not conscious of it, you run on default. You have no choice. And so as long as it remains outside of consciousness, you're running on default. As long as your language remains unconscious, you're at its mercy. You are basically getting hypnotized by others, and you're hypnotizing yourself. If you want to take conscious choice over your own wellness and your, and your own path of what becomes possible for you, you have to become aware. Ida Rolf, who created uh, an amazing bodywork discipline called Rolfing, she had many great lines, and one of, her many, one of her lines relevant to this is she said, Nature is unkind to creatures that lack awareness. 
Yeah. If you don't have awareness, you're going to go extinct. It's that simple. <laughs> Whether it's your job, you're going to lose it. With relationship, you're going to break up. You're crossing the street, if you lack awareness, you're going to get run over. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we know that's the truth. Right. In the enjoyment and wellness and consciousness of your own life, if you lack awareness, if you lack, if you lack consciousness, if you lack metacognition, your capacity to even reflect on your own internal processes, you will not have a great degree of choice. And life will get tough at that point. Oh my gosh, this is this is profound because I suppose not that I've ever questioned what's the purpose of consciousness. However, now knowing that the purpose of consciousness is to give you the opportunity to make choices, I think people will be going, oh my gosh, this is so good. And so many people have internal dialogues that lead them in a particular direction. So um, I can't stop eating bad food. Um, I need to, I, I want to quit smoking and I'll do it at some stage. Um, all of those sorts of things and, and, you touched on um, the word procrastination today in in the in the talk that you gave, and I love it because I'm the ultimate procrastinator. <laughs> I've got all these things that are great ideas that I'm going to do when the time's right. And um, anyway, so I suppose where I'm getting to here is: does procrastination um, limit somebody's ability to create change, or does it um, create opportunity for higher level priorities to um, move in to take that space? It, again, uh, we're, we're back to some core, core principles. Um, anything can definitely limit anyone as long as you lack awareness. Mm-hmm. With awareness, or, or I should say more specifically, with a higher order of consciousness, a meta-consciousness about you, uh, then it can be very empowering because then you'll actually have choice at a higher level. So the example we gave today, for instance, people think that procrastination is bad. Well, it's not necessarily bad. If you lack awareness, then it's bad because it will get in your way. When you procrastinate, you're probably not even aware of it at the time. Or even if you are at a low level of, of consciousness, you'll think, oh, I'm procrastinating, that's bad. Well, at a higher order, you'd start to see the pattern and you'd start to recognize, well, hang on, procrastination is actually a pretty useful skill because it's not something you have. You have to actually do it. You have to engage in it, which means it's a process, which means it's a skill, which means you can do it and you can not do it if you, if you choose to. Uh, so you know, often, like the example I gave today, if if... You're, if you start feeling like you're going to get depressed or you start feeling like you're going to get angry or you start feeling like uh, you're going to get into one of those moods, well, then do your procrastination and just put it off. <laughs> just just don't ever get around to it, in fact. Right? We'll get around to being depressed another day. Yeah, on another day. Right? Uh, and so uh, Virginia Satir, world's greatest family therapist when she was alive, uh, pointed this out. She said, when you want to find out about someone's, particularly their self-esteem, uh, find out about their meta-feelings. Find out about how they feel about how they feel. So if someone says, you know, I feel angry, well, how do you feel about feeling angry? And what they say next is very revealing as to where their consciousness is at and the, and the way they relate to themselves. If they start to say, oh, you know, I get really upset at myself when I get angry, well, that's interesting. Now they're judging themselves, mm-hmm. they're holding themselves as, as doing something bad, mm-hmm. right? Where someone else might say, well, I actually find it pretty exciting, right? Because every time I start getting angry, I start realizing, no, I wonder why I'm doing that. I wonder why I'm getting angry. I'm getting curious about that now. That means I'm about to learn something new about myself. Well, this is going to get interesting, right? Now, and that is going to be a, a better expression of one's wellness. See, just because you're well, A, doesn't mean you're always physically in, in, uh, in good health. Mm-hmm. You can have a cold. You can have a flu. Um, you, you, you can have diarrhea and be well. 
if you have a wellness consciousness about you, if you have, um, there's a lot of distinctions out there, for instance, the difference between pain and suffering, mm -hmm. and how pain is a set of nerve signals sending you, sending you information. Yeah, with perception. Yeah. yeah. Where, where, you know, suffering's a choice. <laughs> <laughs> suffering doesn't have to go with pain. No. People are going, I'm suffering so much with this pain, you know, that's, that's right. That's it's, right. Yeah, and it's a choice, isn't it? I, mean, it's, I suppose it's a choice, but it's the understanding of what pain actually is. It's a signal telling your body that something's not right or you're not moving right. That's right. That sort of thing. That's right. And so if you're, if you're not, if you're, if you're feeling all sorts of, of um, shall we say, inconvenient sensations coming on through your body, that, you can still be well. You know, if, if you're having a cold, you can start getting, you can start getting really appreciative. You know, you can have high gratitude that my body is now fending off whatever this is, right? And this is, this is my body at work. It's, it's actually the cold, the cold is the healing process. You know, the fever is the healing process. You know, people think, oh, I've got a fever. Let me take some aspirin, oh right? Well, that's the, la that's the worst thing you want to do, yeah. right? The fever is the cure in, in this case. And that's when you start to get really appreciative and go, oh, I love it. I've got a fever. My body's fighting this off. This is great. I, I know my body's working, right? That's this it. is wonderful. And that's well, that's a, that's a level of wellness consciousness. So very similar. I, I can, on an emotional level, I could be feeling like, oh, you know, my life's feeling meaningless. I've lost my sense of purpose. And you can get down on yourself about feeling that way, mm -hmm. at which point then you're not well. Right? Or you can start to go, wow, I'm, I'm, I've really lost the plot in my life. Time for another breakthrough. Yeah. Right? Something's now going to happen because clearly the way I have been approaching my, li my life clearly doesn't work. Mm. So now I'm going to have to move to a whole new level. All right, bring it on. Yeah, nice. Right. Oh, that's like a mindset. That's a whole mind. I knew Lawrence would love this. I hope Lawrence listens to this. Um, this is really great. And the reason why it's really great is because it's so empowering. And it's empowering because when you bring consciousness to something and you've got the choices you, and, and your desire is to do better with yourself, which is the reason why people listen to the wellness guys is because they're wanting to do better with themselves and for themselves and for those people around them. Now that they understand this, they can change their programming and their languaging around themselves and their situation. Mm. And, uh, and, and I, I think that that would be an amazing thing for most people who are, who are, I suppose, involved in a wellness shift in their life. And this is great. So in, in taking that a step further, I mean, obviously they'll want to replay this podcast and listen to it and all those sorts of things. But where else can they get resources for this sort of thing? Is this easy to find? Obviously, I know you've written a book, which, which, You've actually written a couple of books, haven't you? Yeah. Yes. We'll talk about those books, but can they just get, you know go and start with a book? Where should people start with this? Uh, again, it depends what uh, what entry point they're coming in at, if, if, if this is new to them or if they've been at this game for a long time. Sure. Um, but certainly um, check out our website, for instance, uh, www.behavioralmodeling.com, and that's spelled British style. So <laughs> it's B-E-H-A-V-I-O-U-R-A-L. M O D E double L L L I N G. So behavioralmodeling.com. Uh, I didn't actually say Marva, but um, you you live in Melbourne. That's right. That's yes. right. And I know you did say it before. And here we are in in San Francisco, and you do have an American accent. So people might have actually been a little bit surprised, but you do spell proper English, which is great. <laughs> Thanks. Yes, born in Hawaii, moved to Australia in 1987. There been there since then. Uh, and there's also for some of the work I did with my colleague Grant Suslu on looking at the latest findings in neuroscience that show we have not one but three functioning brains in the head, the heart, and the gut. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you can go to www.mbraining.com. That's M. Uh, stands for multiple. Braining, which is like the word brain but done as a verb. 
So it's mbraining.com, uh, and you'll find out more more things there. Uh, one of the things I might want to comment this time as well regarding the, the whole notion around this wellness consciousness, and I'll talk about this tomorrow, actually, at, at tomorrow's presentation, uh, which is we all want we all want better choices, to be able to, to be in a, a level of consciousness where we can make more choices about our internal processing, the way we think, feel, what we do, uh, and therefore our overall quality of being. Uh, and one of the the partial truths that's out there, it's true, but it's only partial, which is if I can have more awareness about my own internal processes, uh, then, then that will, that's pretty much the answer. Well, that's part of the answer. Uh, awareness alone is not enough. It's the first step. You have to have it. You can't go anywhere without self-awareness, but it's not alone. I can be aware of a lot of things I'm doing internally and still not have any choice about it. I can be aware that, as you pointed out, I can be aware that I procrastinate, or I can be aware I'm having negative thoughts. Doesn't mean I'm still at choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things is, is the function of learning. Learning is a process for adaptation. And the way you learn will determine what you do with that awareness. And one of the things I'll talk about tomorrow is what I call generative learning. And there's essentially built, building on the work of Gregory Bateson from years back. There's four levels of learning that you kind of want to know about. The first level is called zero, and zero is simply stimulus-response Wrote, wrote memories, conditioning, stimulus response conditioning. It's how we learned our times tables. Uh, it's how we, if you're going to learn musical scales, you just play it over and over till you have it. Uh, and, and that's great. It'll drill something in, uh, but if that's all you got, you're stuck, right? Learning one is about applied learning. This is skill. What do I do? And if you're going, if you're approaching wellness, comes back to your question, how do people find resources? If you want to learn about how to improve your wellness and all you're looking for is techniques or methods or skills, you're at learning one. And that's great. You need that. But that alone is not enough either. Mm-hmm. The next level up, learning level two, is about pattern recognition. This is the world of learning how to learn. This is the classic give a person a fish, feed them for a day, give them, teach them how to fish, feed them for a lifetime. This is where you start to learn about your own patterns. You start to see patterns in your own life about the way you make your choices, about the way you, you do your thought patterns, the way you do your emotional patterns, etc. And it will explain a lot of things. It'll explain the issues you have in relationships, at work, uh, in, in just with, within yourself. It'll, you'll see the patterns across your life. And that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And that's still not enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And learning three, generative learning, is where a lot of transformational work occurs. It's generative learning. It can also be called transformational change. And this is the world where things reorganize, where you reorganize your – it'll happen in – again, if I throw out some jargon here, but get the point either way. Um, the first is you're going to reorganize your, your what's called your ontology or your way of being. Who you are starts to get redefined. Your epistemology, how you create your reality – starts to get reorganized. Your teleology, your sense of purpose, gets redefined and upgraded as well. And then your phenomenology, how the world occurs to you, how you experience your world, starts to reorganize. Now, a good way to explain this, interestingly enough, is from the world of, of uh, chemical physicists. So many years back, several decades actually, a gentleman named Ilya Prigogine won a Nobel Prize for his theory on dissipative structures. And basically what he was saying is, uh, if you if you have a system and you apply energy to it, the system will now need to dissipate that energy in some form, otherwise it will explode, explode or implode. Uh, but if that energy that keeps coming in is more than what that system can dissipate, it now basically has two choices. It will either explode or implode, mm-hmm. or it will reorganize to a higher order. Mm-hmm. 
Now, the classic example of this is, and everyone knows this, take a pot of water and put it on the stove. Here's your, here's your system, the water. You apply heat, you apply energy to the system. Well, what's going to happen for the water to actually dissipate the heat? Well, it's going to get hot, right? <laughs> and after a while, if the heat keeps coming, it's going to start bubbling. And after a while, if it can't dissipate that anymore, but the heat's still coming, it will change form. It will transform into steam. It will go to a higher order of complexity in which it can dissipate that energy. Mm-hmm. Many years back, Marilyn Ferguson wrote a book called The Aquarian, Aquarian Conspiracy, and she asked the question, is the brain a dissipative structure? Mm-hmm. Now, whether we go with the actual metaphor of the brain itself, but the point is well taken. Is the human organism and all of its functioning as an intelligent system, mm-hmm. if you have stresses in life, what do you do? Do you try and figure out how do I get rid of the stress? Or do I use the stress to evolve myself to a higher order of being mm. so that I can handle this stress and more? Now, this is called self-evolution. How do I use that energy to evolve who I am and what I'm capable of rather than try and get rid of that stress? So rather than go home and kind of go, well, you know, how do I just you know, down a bottle of scotch and then get rid of the stress? Instead, how do I stay with it? And how do I actually move myself to a higher order of consciousness? This is generative learning. Now you learn at a very deep level. And that is what we mean by whole person integration for self-evolution. Oh, my gosh. Far out. Uh, my mind's blowing right now. I think I'm trying to sort out some of those extra energy buttons. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, Marvin, that's been absolutely incredible. And I can't believe that we've just done 30 minutes um, together because I'd love to just keep on going on and on and on. You've got so much knowledge. I just want to thank you uh, on behalf of all of the, well- the wellness guys and then all of our listeners for what you've just shared because I know that people are going to want to get a lot more of what you've just spoken about, particularly what you're about to teach me tomorrow. I'm really excited about that. So thank you again, Marvin. And, of course, if people are looking to um, get more of your information, uh, visit the websites that we mentioned before. And, um, and, of course, do you have a Facebook page? Uh, no, but coming. It's coming. coming soon. It's coming soon. Okay. But uh, you are in Melbourne, so you're easy to access. And, uh, and I think we'll, if we can, we'd love to get you back on the Wellness Guys to talk more about that, uh, that learning, the four learning phases. That would be great. I'd absolutely love to. Thank you. Thank you, Marvin. Now, everybody, make sure you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the wellness guys, and tell us what you thought of this episode. I loved it. I know Lawrence will have loved it. I'm sure that Brett will be running around barefoot right now thinking about it because it'll be driving him mental. He wasn't here. Share this podcast with your friends and family and other strangers you think need a wellness update. Subscribe to us on iTunes, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star rating because you know how much Lawrence, Brett, and I love it, and give us a comment. Until next week, begin waning, uh, begin creating wellness into your lives, lead by example, and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on The Wellness Guys Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.